1: Everybody. Welcome to Take the Black Live. I am Dan Zaki, Net with Cheryl Wassenaar of Culturist. Thanks for watching. And if you came a little early, you got a little preview of uh, us chatting unfiltered. How exciting for us and for you! Yeah. must fun. Anyway, uh, welcome, team. guys. Sorry about that. And uh, you're welcome for that. <laughs> uh, hey, Julie, Lisa, Daniel, Linda, uh, Karen, Siri, Murrow, Jan. Oh, Jan, love, love seeing everybody. We're here to talk about the latest in Game of Thrones and the Song of and Fire news and all things fantasy. And today, uh, we're happy to announce that we get to give away a little something. It's a some, pretty cool something, Fancy. albeit of limited use. Today, we are giving away two tickets to see Game of Thrones star Maisie Williams. Yes. Maisie Williams, who plays Arya Stark, live on stage in a production of a play called I Am You playing at the Hampstead Theatre in London on November 24th. Here's a little trailer to wet your whistle.
0: I'm not only looking forward to it, but I feel like I'm ready. I knew was unlike anything I've ever written. It's really not just a teenage story, it's a human story. This story
2: and this connection between these two characters is something that we see a lot in our own
0: lives and We can probably pinpoint a relationship that you have that's quite similar to it. I wanted something that perhaps seems small and intimate, but then expose a really universal story.
2: I really hope this play highlights the tiny little encounters and the minuscule things that to a passerby may mean, mean nothing. They can have the biggest impact on who you are and even change the way you continue to live your life.
0: I wanted, as a kid, to have a play that could speak to everybody. And
2: that's everything that I want in something to watch and something to to be in.
1: INU, Hampstead Theatre, London, two free tickets, Game of Thrones stars, Maisie Williams, pretty fun. We'll give those out a little later in the show. But first, let's get to the news. What say you?
3: I say yay. Let's
1: Game of Thrones news. And as always, we have some cast members um, dropping some hot sound bites, as they tend to do, about what's coming. Peter Dinklage, who plays Tyrion Lannister, probably has the hottest sound bite of all to give. Uh, he was talking to Belfast Telegraph, the mayor of his new HBO film I did with Hervé, where he plays, I'm not trying to say his name, but uh, a French actor from the 70s named Hervé Ville something or other. Anyway. Peter Dinklage said of the final season of Game of Thrones, I think it's going to be the best season of television anyone has ever seen. It takes you to a place that you never saw coming, that I didn't see coming, and just be prepared. It's a fun ride. And later, talking entertainment tonight at the same event, there are no better writers in television than Dan Dan Weston and David Benioff. They ended it brilliantly, better than I could have imagined, and you people are in for it. It ends beautifully for my character, whether it be tragic or not. Solid hypesmanship from Peter Dinklage, Cheryl.
3: Would you say he's fired up?
1: No, uh, it, the story ends beautifully for my character, no, no, says Peter fi- Dinklage. Fired up. I said good hypesmanship.
3: Yes, I know. And I'm saying, would you Would you say he's fired up? Because fire and blood? Because he serves it? Oh, yeah. I would say that. <sighs> I tried. I tried, everyone. I really tried. Anyway, to actually talk about the comments. Mm-hmm. Um, one... No, there are better TV writers than David Benioff and Dan Weiss.
1: (laughs) Okay. Throw that down.
3: Two, there was my hot take of the day. Two, I'm impressed that he brought up the idea of tragic or not.
1: I am a little bit too, right?
3: A little, you know, your ears perk up a little bit at that one.
1: I mean, it could just be confirmation bias that we may have heard some things about um, Tyrion's how Tyrion's story concludes, mm-hmm. and we're just reading into it what we have. I mean, this could just be a, a, any performer saying. Yeah. Um, it ends beautifully. Best piece of television ever. That's something good to say. I like when someone swings for the fences like that. Yeah. Go big or go home.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, it, in some ways, I can understand why he did it, but at the same time, I'm like, let's not say things we can't take back.
1: We can't talk about that too much.
3: Though. Yeah, we can't talk about that too much, though. I'm glad Um,
1: to hear people are uh, getting out there. Ooh, Julie Davies, today is my birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Julie. Glad to hear it. And Karen's most looking forward to her battle between the dragons. I think we can almost guarantee we'll get that, Karen, with the amount of time they've been spending on uh, special effects and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Something else we might get is returning characters. Um, You know, it's the final season of the show. Okay. Last six episodes. This show might have more characters than... Any TV show ever, it's possible.
3: I'm not good at math, so. Can you think
1: of like a one that would combat it? Top of my head, I really can't.
3: I really can't either.
1: And naturally, there are some characters. Oh, no. who... Dallas,
3: Dallas. Movie. Oh,
1: this is a perfect Dallas. Maybe it's true. Uh, not counting soap operas. I mean, if you if you're a show that like. I mean, Game is kind years. of a soap opera, though. That's a good point. <laughs> Compact one, though. Uh, by the way. Lisa has a comment that kind of runs into this really nicely. Lisa read recently uh, the theory has been confirmed that and Hagar is actually Ned Stark. Hmm. I would throw some side-eye at that comment, Lisa. I have not heard that theory. But um, it does kind of lead to what we're going to talk about here for a second. Let's do it. Characters who could return to the show in the final six episodes that we haven't seen for a while. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, Mikhail Huisman, the guy who played Dario Naharis for a couple of years on the show... Was asked recently, as is inevitable, um, you know, you think you're going to come back for the final season, and uh, he basically said nothing in response. He, you know, he he gave a Game of Thrones waffle. I can't wait to see the finale. He said, I don't know what to say. I shouldn't spoil anything, so I'm not going to tell you, which could mean literally anything. But it, it did get me thinking about: um, Would we want some of the minor characters to make an appearance, like Dario, for example, or Jack and Hagar, to talk about what Lisa's comment said? someone like Mira Reed or Hot Pie Mm -hmm. or Ilaria Sand, do we need these characters who have kind of ended their stories so far as we can tell to come back? Would that be fan service, or is there more that we need to see of them?
3: Um, hmm. Some of those characters you named, I'd be down for. Some of the characters you named, I would not be down for. Which ones? All right. Of course, I'll tell you which ones. Uh, I would not be down for Dario Naharis. I you kind of like... seem
1: like it's over, right? Yeah,
3: he's, he's, he's pretty done, guys. Daenerys
1: left him in marine to yep. oversee uh, her new non-slavery republic. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I can see him in character leaving and, you know, kind of doing something else as he's bored. But I feel like his story, and yeah. his partner's story, seems finished.
3: I, I would be bored. Um (laughs) and that is obviously the ultimate arbiter of what Game of Thrones production does. (laughs)
1: Yes. Um don't bore Cheryl.
3: Yeah, don't bore me. Um Jack and Hagar I'd be absolutely down for. Yeah. Um, Because he's fun. He's fun. And I think there's still something there with the idea of um the House of Black and White not necessarily being super happy with what Arya is doing with their skills. That's possible. Um I would be very excited to see Mira Reed again. I think Mira Reed might bring her dad into everything because her dad is one of the few people who can kind of confirm what went on all those years ago. Howland Reed. Howland Reed. Although this probably
1: kinda know what happened all those years ago.
3: But he's existing confirmation outside of a tree told me.
1: That's a good point. Very important there. (laughs) Mira is probably the one that I think people I think that like has the best case for coming back. She had right. some unresolved things with Bran. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of part way. I'm, I'm kind of like half and half, better because I actually really liked their last scene together, and thought she was kind of heartbroken and just realizing this Bran is no longer the Bran she knew, and it was a bitter, a bittersweet, mostly bitter end to her journey with him. And honest to God, like I could see that being the last she shows up and just being kind of emblematic of not all the stories are going to end with a nice bow on top. Like sometimes you don't get what you want and sometimes you go on a journey and you lose your brother and uh, Hodor dies and the kid you kind of had a crush on ends up being a robot and it's just, that's your reward, at least you lived.
3: Congratulations, you lived. It
1: would be dour, but honestly, (laughs) I could get behind that. Although I'd also be okay if she came back and there Mm -hmm. was a little happy ending for Mirror. Uh,
3: I don't know if if even her coming back would necessarily be a happier ending. Like Mm -hmm. she could, I I don't know if it would be kind of redundant to have her see Bran again. Sure. But I would be interested in her coming with Howland Reed. Sure. I guess. Fair that's enough. that's that's how I would like to see Mira. Not Mira coming back and be like, Brian, I'm so sad. Like, no, <laughs> Mira deserves better. So,
1: Julie says, we only have six episodes, so, so let's not waste our time on past stuff. I'm kind of in agreement with that. Mm-hmm. I said, let's move on.
3: Yes. We've got a lot to get to in this season. We Maybe.
1: do. We have some more to get to in Take the Black Live, too. We do? I love if I can get a segue. What? All right. I want to take one tell- second and talk about... Um, a really cool project going on called Unseen Westeros. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. It is 40 artists, many of whom worked on the show, are coming together to put together this really fantastic looking art exhibit uh, called Unseen Westeros, where they all illustrate different parts about Westeros' prehistory or just uh, or Westeros Essos, the world George Martin has created. They illustrate things, their prehistory. So that's a painting of the arm of Dorn that used to be there before. Uh, it got sunk how the first men got across, and they're making all these works, and they're going to show them, that is, the Grey King of the Iron Islands from hundreds of years ago, and they're going to show them at an exhibit in Berlin uh, in January, free to the public, pretty cool, ice spiders, big as hounds, kind of love that, nice. um, free to the public, there's a Kickstarter they're trying to raise money for to keep it free. And I just wanted to give them some promotion because I think it's a pretty cool project.
3: I'm strongly into all the art that I just saw.
1: Yeah, right? I'm, I'm very
3: into Imagine it. Imagine like on
1: giant canvases. Yeah,
3: that's the stuff.
1: And if you're interested, uh, there's a link to the Kickstarter on uh, winnerscoming.net. I recommend you go check it out.
3: Go for it, guys.
1: All right, without further ado, can we do our giveaway? Yes, let's, about that?
3: let's just go straight to the giveaway. All right,
1: thanks for sticking around, guys. Mm-hmm. And let's just give away the two tickets to see Maisie Williams' live front-row seats, by the way, in i and You" at the Hampstead Theatre in London on November 24th. I realize this is kind of a limited utility item, but you don't have to be in London to get it. It helps if you are, if you know anybody. And we'll accept answers for a few days here in case anybody comes to it late. Okay, the way this works, if you watched us before, to get a giveaway is... I will ask you a trivia question about Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire. Um, you email your answers to dan.selkie at winteriscoming.net, where have the address uh, in the comments around the screen, and the first person to give me a correct answer wins the prize. In this case, two front row tickets to see Arya Stark herself, Maisie Williams, in a new play called I and You at the Hampstead Theatre, a very nice theatre in London. I'm okay,
3: sh- I'm extremely jealous of whoever wins this. It's a
1: pretty cool prize. I'm it's not a pretty lie. cool prize, courtesy of our of our of our writer Sarah Weymouth, who uh, got these tickets and just can't use them. So you get two. Um, okay, the trivia question is as follows. It's a okay. really easy one because, I mean, this prize you kind of have to be in London to use it. Um, trivia question is: Name any of the free cities of Essos. Any free city, just name it. Write winnerscoming.net. Give me the name of a free city. Arya spent some time in a free city. Uh, Daenerys spent some time in a free city. I think there are nine of them in all. We've seen at least two of them on the show, and I think we also tune two in the books too. But there are a bunch of them. There's a lot of names. Put a string of letters together. You might just end up being right by chance. And uh, whoever gets the first thing in will win these two free tickets. All right, Cheryl.
3: All right, Dan. It's
1: been a, a good, bit of a weird show. I uh, blame it's going ghosts, on. personally. And now, while Josh yes. Hill comes on for a song with Dan and Josh, enjoy this uh, little taste of The Wit Club, which you may not have heard of.
3: See you next week, guys.
1: <laughs> oh, Ned Stark, will you ever learn? <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't see you there. I'm Dan Selke, the editor at WinnerIsComing.net your one-stop shop for all things Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, and genre fiction in general. We here at Wick love bringing you news, reviews, and editorial content, and we're gonna keep doing all that stuff. However, for the especially hardcore among you, we're gonna start offering even more. Welcome to the Wick Club. The Wick Club is a Patreon-funded effort to provide fantasy and sci-fi fans with even more Wick content. You can join at several levels, for $1 a month, you can enter into monthly swag giveaways and get to read extra columns. At $4, you'll get to watch extra episodes of Take the Black Live, our weekly chat show, with topics chosen by you. Please be gentle. And at the Valyrian Steel level, that's $10 a month, you get Wick Club t-shirts and access to a new segment we're calling Drinking and Knowing Things, a monthly live stream where I drink wine and talk with all of you in a free-flowing conversation about Game of Thrones, fantasy, sci-fi, and whatever else comes up after I've had a few. Just to be clear, we're not gonna stop doing anything in Wick we already do, and we're hoping to add more stuff anyway. The Wick Club is a way to produce even more content, and hopefully to get to know some of you better. You can find links to more information below. We hope to see you in the Wick Clubhouse. Valer bottoms up, and thanks for watching. Hello, everybody Who is stuck around for the second half of Take the Black Live, where fan-sided zone Josh Hill and I go through each and every chapter of George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, oh, yeah. taking them apart, see what makes them tick, what makes them work, what doesn't make them work. I've read the books multiple times. Josh has never read them. Nope. What a crazy cavalcade of conflicting opinions we <laughs> may have. And today, we are reading through... Sansa 6 from A Game of Thrones, Uh, in my opinion, a really good chapter. I like this chapter a lot. This is basically (laughs) the first Sansa chapter after Ned Stark is executed, Mm -hmm. and it's it's the fresh hell she's waking up to. (laughs) So Josh, um, what were your just initial reactions to these
2: uh, nine or so pages? Well, first of all, hello everybody and happy birthday, Julie. Um, I got that, like the Simpsons song stuck in my head. Remember when uh, <clears throat> the episode where Michael Jackson comes on and Bart and him sing the song to Lisa? He's yeah, like, I know birthday, it's Julie. birthday, Julie. Julie, it's your, your birthday. birthday. Um, that's why the stream didn't work, is because it just can't handle Julie's birthday. Um, yeah, this was a good chapter because, I mean, this is the first kind of grown up chapter for Sansa. Like, yeah, the, yeah. this idea that she's had this, ro- she's been romanticizing. Being like a Disney princess and the world, the life that she could have at King's Landing, and how much she wants it, and how much she mm-hmm. adores what she thinks that lifestyle is, and now she's there, and literally her father's head has been cut off, and she and, saw it. And she, one yeah, at one point Joffrey's like, "Look at this!" and like oh. all of the heads, just like ugh. Um, so this is kind of like the puncturing of that that bubble that she's been living in, and yeah, now it's in a rather like, big way. And it, you even wrote down the line, too, and it was a line that stuck out to me, but she's, like, in the tower, just, mm. just collapsing into darkness. or, or it, It's the very first line yeah. of
1: the chapter, I think, is, uh, in the tower room at the heart of Magor's holdfast, Sansa gave herself to darkness. Yeah, and, like, and so that's... She's in a bad place.
2: Yeah, and that's the perfect way to start that chapter, and it's just it's subtle... But it gets across exactly where she's at, and it's just the end of this kind of fantasy that she's had. It's absolutely the end.
1: I mean, uh, she's waking up to—she's woke up, She smelled the coffee, and the coffee is like the worst coffee. Um, You know, there's one point where she looks at Joffrey and just says, Sansa stared at Joffrey, seeing him for the first time. She wondered how she could ever have thought him handsome. His lips were soft and red as the worms you found after a rain, and his <laughs> eyes were vain and cruel. So the bloom is way off the oh, road. But what I thought was intriguing is that while clearly she's woken up to the reality that these people do not have her do not have her best interest at heart, mm-hmm. that they are not her friends, that she is in a bad situation, th- there there is still she 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 she's not an adult yet. No. She's still very much she's still very much an, an, an adolescent. Like there's this moment where she's um in her tower room, where they've, where the Lannister's have locked her away for safekeeping, for, you know, later um, bargaining shit, basically. And she thinks about suicide, which is, you know, something you might think about, it, the situation happened happening, your dad died and sister ran away, and your family's been cut off and you're a prisoner. Um, if she flung herself out the window, she could put an end to her suffering, and in the years to come, the singers would write songs of her grief. Her body would lie in the stones below, broken and innocent, shaming all those who had betrayed her. Now, there's an element to that, though, that I think she still is a little bit in this mode of life should be an epic story. Yeah. Like, th- that bit where she's like, you know, and then the singers would sing of my grief and they would all be shamed. That's, it's not that far to go to, if I if I were dead, then they'd be sorry. Yeah. To, like, a, a kid who'd be trying to make his family mad. Yeah. Like, she, she's not thinking... Like, the, the, the salsa she'll become will think about... Will be more proactive. Will think of, think of ways to get herself out of this. She is still thinking in an adolescent way about her situation, what she can do. She's like, fine. Life isn't the song I thought it was, where it's all, you know, puppies and maidens and valiant knights and all the, the handsome boyfriends and husbands and kids. Yeah. But, okay, so... I get this. This is one of those bad stories where it's all about like the, the evil queen and <laughs> yeah. the, the whore people who keep me who keep me prisoner mm-hmm. and the evildoers and I am the princess in the tower. What she what she, she still what she hasn't gotten to yet is life's not a story at all. No. Like life is a complicated back and forth of people jockeying for power and your place in it. Yeah. And that's where she's gonna get eventually. Right now she switched from life is a song about butterflies and rainbows to life is a song about everything sucking and uh, being locked in a tower and looking at your dad's head.
2: Life is a song of ice and fire. Life is a song of Dan and Josh. Life is a song of. no, yeah. This it's it was yeah, the death of chi- of of innocence is a theme that has been in almost all of these chapters for the children characters. Oh, absolutely. We talked about it when we had the Arya chapter, in which she literally, she it's her point of view when Ned dies, and that's mm-hmm. like the death of innocence. So to have Sansa, or would have she that, stab as well. that guy. Well, yeah, that's it. Arya took it a little bit differently than <laughs> than Sansa did. But this is a theme, even with like John at the wall and Mm -hmm. Rob kind of commanding, you know, the army and doing all the things that he's doing. It's like this death of innocence, the end of childhood and this weird spot between you're not really an adult yet, Mm -hmm. but you're slowly starting to realize and have to deal with adult problems. And that's kind of something that we all go through in life. Absolutely. Just not all of us have to, you know, watch our fathers be decapitated, so.
1: And of note, it was interesting that they noted that Sansa actually saw his head get chopped off. Mm -hmm. Arya had, um, no, what was his name? The Night's Watchman guy yeah, who turned her away. Pre- yeah, who turned her away. I forget his name, I'm so sorry. Yorin. Yorin. Ah! Yorin. Right. Um, Sansa actually saw it. Mm-hmm. Like, it just kind of hit me. Like, Sansa is the one Stark to actually see her father actually get decapitated, which mm-hmm. is interesting. I hadn't really considered that before. Like, she's carrying that around. I mean, Arya is too, but at least Arya didn't have to look right at it. And then there's, of course, the scene where Sansa literally looks at it. When Joffrey takes her up to on the ramparts of the castle, and makes her look at her father's head, what's your read on Joffrey's situation? Because I there was like a part of me that wanted to say that Joffrey might not be a monster just because he's bad at being a king. Maybe he's just what happens when you put a young jack-off bully in charge with unlimited power. Then I'm like. No, he takes Sansa up there intending to humiliate yeah. and scare her. Yeah, he's like a, he's
2: more than just your average school he's, he's he's clearly a sadist of some kind. Yeah, he's a he's a douche canoe. Like that that's he's <laughs> not a good guy. He's a monster. Um I was getting like I was reading this chapter where like she's stuck in the tower and mm-hmm. he's like being very demanding and commanding as like almost like a a light gamergate analogy a little bit. Like he's kind of like that stereotypical like not fantasy fan but like the the fantasy fan who's like in the gamergate side of things right? all right it's like interesting. women are this thing and i you know just get listen to me and blah 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 that kind of assertion of his 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 what he thinks is dominance over her it's it's his power, superiority yeah. he did mention her.
1: several times like clean yourself up or you look yeah. much better now yeah, like a
2: it's, it's com- lot of attention to that. Yeah, this complete lack of awareness or lack of humanity that's just like, this is the way it is. And I'm reading that and it, it made me angry that he like brought her to see her father's head. It like, sure. it, it's, it's unsettling <laughs> because you're vividly imagining that and she's clearly going through trauma. I mean, it's not really being- yeah dove into the way that's like you would think you know we're going to talk about her feelings now but there is like the suicide thing going on and she's it's from her perspective she doesn't know that she's going through these stages of grief and guilt because she's kind of not responsible but involved in how we got here so to, to then have joffrey bring her to her father's head that's that that was dark and it it, it it just really highlighted to me how much of a monster Joffrey is, and it's, he comes into his own here in a way. Yeah, yeah, and like we're reading this now. We've said this multiple times about this book, putting it in present context, even though it was from 1997. But the whole Me Too stuff and an awareness of how crappy men can be. This is like an extreme to that. But there is that kind of element I was reading to it where Sansa's is literally locked in a tower and she's told clean yourself up and all this. These things that we are reading a stereotypical like evil fantasy dude also have, Mm -hmm. they transfer over into the real world where it's like, okay, now we live in an era where these things, we're more conscious about these things. So they they, they cut deeper than they did when maybe you saw this for the first time, even in 2010, like eight years ago, seeing the television show it cuts a little bit deeper because you have a different perspective of it. And Joffrey has found a way to become even more of a monster from what we already knew to now putting him in this present context that we have and be it's even worse than we thought because right. now we're thinking about all these other things. I mean, and now Joffrey's king. So yeah.
1: like he literally, before at least he didn't have like, a, like people who would do whatever he said just mm-hmm. because he's king. Now he can do anything. Yeah. I want to talk about um, the way Sansa is coping. So, she's in a new reality. Her reality is the worst of all the realities <laughs> that she can be in. It's, pri- it's, just, it's awful. Prisoner. She's, she, she's engaged to Joffrey still. Yeah. Engaged to a guy who cut off her father's head that made her look at it. Yep. Um, and I think it's very interesting the way she copes. Um, throughout the chapter, she says thank you to Joffrey several times. Like, when he's like, you know, smile and be pretty. Put this on. Come with me. Uh, she does do what he says, even though she, I mean, in her heart, in her, in her, she thinks about, like, I, I don't want to do this, I, I, I can't do this. Yeah. But she does do it. Like, um, for example, when he's taking her up to look at her father's head. Uh, like, she knows he's taking her nowhere good, but it says that she forced herself to take King Joffrey's hand. I think... You contrast that with somebody like Arya, who I think in that situation, if Joffrey offered to come look at your dead father's head, Arya would probably try to attack Mm -hmm. Joffrey. Sansa takes his hand and comes up with him and says thank you to him. I think the last line of it, she was a good girl and always remembered her courtesies. What I take from all that is Sansa is not Arya. Sansa's way of coping is is this whole, whole idea of courtesy being a lady's armor, mm-hmm. that she's never going to win by taking the Arya approach and attacking people. Arya couldn't win that way. There's too many people, they're too big, they're way older than her, they have swords, she doesn't, they have armor, she doesn't. What begins now is this long stretch for Sansa where she's gonna have to survive by just trying to do what they expect her to do, and not stepping out of line and dying until an opportunity arises where she can do something and escape, which does eventually happen. And I think it's a really interesting way to kind of highlight a different sort of bravery and strength, Mm -hmm. that you have the Arya way, which is attack your problem and stab it until it's dead. And you have the Sansa way, at least this part of Sansa, which is more of like a Marjorie Olenna kind of thing, where it's, okay, I need to play off their expectations and do what they want me to do, which is advice the Hound gives her, by Mm -hmm. the way. Like, the Hound says, Joffrey wants you to smile and be pretty and just kind of be his loving wife. Just do it. It's going to be easier that way. And there's real wisdom in that. And there's real bravery in that, I think, is the point. That it's not cowardly to kind of go along when you're this outmatched. It's it's, It's a survival instinct. Sansa is surviving by being... Placid mm-hmm. and by doing what's expected of her.
2: Yeah, and I think again that kind of translates into present-day Analogies because mm-hmm. you have two you have different ways to, to protest the awful things in the world you have the one side of, of protests which is to Physically protest to physically like mm-hmm. the capital things like pound on the doors of the Capitol, like you visit phys- You're the aria way of going at it sure or you have other people who are like just go with the flow for now and wait for the opportunity to slip the knife in. Like, don't... Vote, is that what... Uh, yeah, not? so that, that would be another thing, to, like, go out and vote and do that kind of thing. So that it, it's an interesting analogy to, to two different ways, and I, that, that's true of all problems. There's the one way sure. to do it, and there's another way to do it. But it just seems like... The, the analogies that you can draw to present day are so embedded in this story, and that's it, it's true. It's true of all eras. I mean, you could go back and be like the Vietnam War protests. You know, you could be rattling the cages outside of the White House, or you could be doing something more silent behind the scenes to to bring about change. The Sansa way, I feel like, is both brave and also maybe a little scary because she is being she is kind of submitting to. Joffrey, which is sad because you're inside of her head and you're really, you're feeling for her in this chapter. because mm-hmm. She doesn't know how to feel about what, ha- what just happened. And she's dealing with all of these feelings. So I, I, I feel for Sansa and I think the Hound's advice was good up until the point to where he's like, just go with the flow. It'll be easier that way. Mm-hmm. Obviously we know Sansa interprets that because the same thing happens with Ramsay. Like, Ramsay Bolton, like, go with it and then right find your opportunity that 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 to me i think is it's an interesting way to go about it and it's the sansa way to go about it because it is the only way that she can approach the situation based on everything that she's taught and every way that she's romanticized the world so she's coping with her father's death but she's also coping with the death of this fantasy that she's had. Definitely because it, yeah. her life is never going to be what she thought it was. No. Not even remotely close. So she's dealing with these two different types of grief. One which is very practical. Her father's dead. And then one is more fantastical where it's like, oh, I'm never going to be a Disney princess. Which they're both kind of on the same level. One seems like it should be a little bit more weighted. You know, your father dying and you the death sure. of a dream. But they're kind of both together. And, and the both- fact she's dealing with all of this grief and also... Cognizant of working forward through it, I think Display Sons is a very strong character in this chapter. I do too. And by the way,
1: uh, H- hello, Stephanie says hi. Um, I think like a lot of uh, stories in general, like fantasy novels, sci-fi novels, they're just kind of action stories. The kind of stories we like place more of an emphasis on the REOA, way, mm-hmm. on like the being yeah. and getting what you want, and don't examine the the, son, the son situation as much. The person who doesn't really have a choice but to go along if they want to live. Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- this is her survival. There's a line in season seven where Sansa and Arya kind of talk to each other, and, and Arya says, like I wouldn't have survived, but you survived. And I think the same is true otherwise. If Sansa's in an Arya situation where she's like, has to cut her hair short and to be a boy and mm-hmm. ride around with the Night's Watch people and be prisoner in Heron Hall, she's so, it's dead. Yeah, she's it's so dead. She's not working. She's so dead. She's not going to live. But if Arya's in this situation, in Sansa's situation... She knocks him off, she knocks jo- Joffrey off. Oh, 100%. Like Sansa didn't Ar, do it, but Arya, Arya tries uh, yeah, to kill. Arya absolutely not. Arya tries off. to kill yep. Joffrey. She, oh, she, Arya doesn't get to the damn parapet. Arya tries to kill Joffrey <laughs> right before away. that. Yeah. Arya jumps out the window. Yeah. Arya tries to kill Marin Trant before he can hit her. <laughs> Arya tries to kill the hound. Arya tries to kill everybody. And, I mean, as fierce as Arya is, she is a 10-year-old girl mm-hmm. without a sword. Arya dies in the yep. situation. Arya 100% gets herself killed. And that's, I think, is the genius of kind of their parallel story, yep. that neither of them can do what the other can do. Mm-hmm. And because they are who they are, they both live through their situations. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about really quickly, by the way, uh, Meryn Trant and the Hound and the Kingsguard, yeah. who um, Sansa also awakens up to. The whole idea, you know, Sansa's part of her fantasy is, Knights are noble and great and good, and really the reality is that they hit you when the king tells them to, even though you're just submitting. Maybe you shouldn't lock me in a tower and kill yeah. my father and tell me to dress nice. Um, there's one line that says, uh, "Sir Merentran stood over her with blood on the knuckles of his white silk glove," which is pretty obvious symbolism, right? Yeah. You got the purity of the white. They all wear white, the king's guard, to symbolize purity, and this purity symbolizing dude has smacked her and bloodied his white, pretty white glove with her blood. So that's, the pure knights are not pure. That's the symbolism there. (laughs) And of course, we have the flip to that, the hound, who is not actually a knight, Mm -hmm. but is on the king's guard, is the one who's much gentler with her and giving her advice and saying things like, and giving her some coping strategies. You can argue if they're good or not, but he's telling her, listen, in there's a part where, uh, it reads that he pushed her toward the Bureau almost gently, and he's the one who says, you need to find a way to deal with this. You need to do what he says. That way, he will not get... You, you will live, which yeah. is true. So there's that symbolism, too, that the knights are monsters, whereas Sansa thought the knights were supposed to be heroes, and the guy who seems like a monster, the Hound, who is not a knight, and also gruff and gross and likes violence and threatening people, is actually maybe the one who has his head on straight.
2: Yeah, it's it's the old street knowledge. She's, she's learning on the streets because you have this idea, again, the death of innocence. You have mm-hmm. the idea that this is, you know, certain authority figures are just what they are. You are supposed to respect them and they are the law, whereas you learn as you grow up there's a lot of gray area between who is good and who is bad mm-hmm. and those two things actually don't really exist because there is no one true good there is one, no one true bad everybody's just kind of a muddled mix of everything and sansa has this again romanticized version of a vision of what life should everything, be yeah. yeah of everything and it's slowly getting holes poked in it and she's real and she's becoming smarter for it which is why, you know, you just said this is her way of surviving. Like, she is learning the lessons that she needs to learn right. in order to survive. And one of those is not only this is never going to be the life that you want, but everything that you've, you know, you've learned is probably not true. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the people like you think are good really are not good. The people who are bad are, might be bad people, but that doesn't mean that they don't have good lessons to teach you. Right. So. To be great. One last thing I have to
1: ask you, um, I, I know we've been talking about how great her survival mechanism is, <laughs> but that moment where she almost pushed Joffrey off the ledge is a pretty great moment. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just fun. I think, to me, I think that was when I, watching the show, kind of came around to Sansa. I'm like, yep. you're all right. Yep. And I, I never really got off that train after that. I think it's probably true for a lot of people. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, he, you, you know how you watch something, like you watch a movie or you watch like an old sports clip or something like that, and you know what's going to happen, uh-huh. but as you're watching it, you convince yourself that maybe it's going to have a different uh-huh. outcome? Yeah. I had that same reaction when I was reading this. Just I was like, do it, do it. Yeah, maybe she's going to push him off. Like, and then you're just kind of amazed. I mean, it obviously wasn't going to happen, but. No. Yeah. I, I was definitely on board with Sans at this point, too. Yeah, but it's, it's just good to know that she has that
1: inner yeah. and that that's. That's that's going to be the seed that grows into a mighty oak <laughs> over the course of these next four books. All right. Well, next week, uh, we can hit another Daenerys chapter. All right. We're getting toward the end here of A Game of Thrones, but we will uh, be back with more insights, more revelations, more comparisons, more contrast with another episode of Song of Ben and Josh next Wednesday at 4 p.m. here on the Winner's Wayne Facebook page. Thanks for watching.